help me not to be distracted. Help others not to be distracted, Lord. And, uh, and, and let us walk out of here knowing that you've met with us. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well, we find ourselves there in Genesis chapter number 25, and we preached through the first part of Genesis 25 last week, but I want to focus in on the story here about Esau and uh, and Jacob, his brother. Look down at verse number 29, Genesis 25, and look at verse 29. The Bible says, And Jacob sought pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. And notice this last last little phrase of Genesis twenty five thirty four. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thus Esau despised his birthright. The Bible tells us that Esau despised his birthright. Now you say, well, well, what does that mean? Well, Esau despised his birthright because he did not appreciate his birthright. He did not see the value in his birthright. You say, what what is the well the the, the birthright is this? The birthright was given to the first. Male son born to a family uh, in, in this culture here. And Esau, you know, think about this. Esau was the firstborn son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. I mean, Esau's grandfather was Abraham. Abraham, the man that God had promised that he would make a great nation. Abraham, the man that God had promised that through his descendants would come the Messiah. Abraham, the man that God blessed and God gave a blessing to. And he, and he promised that through him all, the, nation, all the, the nations of the world would be blessed. And Esau was born to this family. And not only was he born to them, he was the firstborn son of Isaac, the son of promise. And he was given a birthright. But the Bible says that Esau despised that birthright because he did not appreciate the value of that birthright. But often, you know, we as Christians fail to appreciate our birthright. You know, the Bible says that when you got saved, you got born again into the family of God. And when you were born again, you were born into God's family. And when you got born into God's family, you were given certain rights. You were given certain privileges. And often we, like Esau, or we as Esau, like it says in Hebrews, will despise our birthright. You say, what are you talking about? Well, here's an example. God has given you a church. God has, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, He uh, established the church and He gave Himself for the church and He uh, dedicated the church and He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so often Christians will despise the right that God has given them to unite with other Christians in a fellowship, in a congregation, to unite with them and come under the preaching of God's Word and sing songs together and fellowship together like we're going to do tonight after the service. And so often God has given Christians a church and will despise that birthright. Like Esau, we won't see the value in that birthright. Like Esau, we won't see the, 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 the greatness of that birthright and we'll think little of that birthright. You know, the people who kind of think of church like, well, it's just kind of here or there. You know, I'll go if I've got time. I'll go if it's okay. You know, I, it's not really that big of a deal. It's not that big of a part of my life. You're, what you're doing is the same thing Esau did. You're despising your birthright. 
You know, I was talking to this about my, with my wife. Uh, she actually reminded me of it. Um, but since we started this church eight months ago, I've gotten many emails. I mean, countless emails of people who listen to our sermons online. Because we post our, our sermons. You know, when I preach here, we uh, record it all. And we post it on the internet. And some people listen to the sermons online, you know, from other states and other countries or whatever. And we've gotten emails from people saying, you know, pray for us. There's no good church in our area. I wish we had an independent, fundamental, Baptist, King James, God-loving, devil-hating church in our area, but we don't. And they they tell us, you know, we're forced to go to this liberal church. You know, I mean, I I could could show you emails. People say, you know, I I wish, I mean, there was a guy who said, I wish there was a church I could go to that preached against repentance. People told me, "Uh, there's no good church in my area. There's no church in my area that uses the King James Bible. They all use the, the NIV, the New King James, the RSV, the ASV, the HIV. They use all these weird, you know, uh, Bibles that aren't God's Word, by the way. I've preached on that before and proven it. You know, and people email us and they'll say, oh, I wish we had a church that preached the Gospel, that got people saved, that, you know, stood on the doctrines of the Bible and, and preached holiness and told people to do right and live for God. We wish we had a church like that. And they listen to our sermons online because they don't have a church like that. And yet all over Sacramento, we get people saved. And they'll, they'll say, oh, well, you know, they'll just kind of discredit our church because we're meeting in a house. They'll kind of just discredit our church because it's not very big. They'll just kind of discredit our church because it's that. You know, they think, oh, they, and what they're doing is they're just despising. They're despising the birthright. The fact that God gave them a King James Bible. I mean, do you understand that there are not many churches in this country who would take a stand on the King James Bible and say this is God's inspired, uh, uh, infallible word. I mean, it is given to us by God without error. You know that most churches in America would not take that stand? They'll say, well, this translation is a little better, and that translation says this. But we despise that. Esau despises birthright. Esau despised the fact that God had given him something. You know, I remember when we started, when I was in the Air Force and I first got stationed at Travis Air Force Base. And uh, we started going to Fellowship Baptist Church. That's a great church. That's the church we went to while I was there in Vacaville. And that's actually the church that uh, sent us out to start this church. And um, they, they uh, commissioned us out to start this church there, Pastor Mark Lewis. And I remember when we first got there, uh, he, he was preaching and he gave this illustration. I thought it was such a great illustration. Because it was exactly what my wife and I were going through. Because we got there and we'd been there for a few months. We'd been part of the church, and I mean, we were part of the church. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were soul winning. We were tithing. We were, you know, at all the services. We were, I mean, if it could be done, we were doing it, and because there, it, there, no other church was an option. I mean, I was born an independent fundamental Baptist. I'm going to die an independent fundamental Baptist, and I will never step foot in any other type of church for any church service, period. I mean, Independent Fundamental Baptist is the church that I will go to because that's the right church. That's the church that's brought in doctrine. So, so no other churches were even an option. I mean, this was the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church in town, and this was the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church I was going to go to. But I remember he was preaching, and he was saying, you know, some of you come to this church, and you're just kind of renting it. And he gave this analogy, and I thought it was so beautiful. He said, you know, some of you are renting, and some of you are owning. He says, you know what's the difference between a renter and an owner? Is that a renter doesn't really care. He's just there temporarily. The, the walls get dirty, the water heater goes out, the lights. You know, you're not going to really put all that much money into fixing up the house. You're not really going to put all that effort because it's not your house. But when you buy a house, man, you're, you know, as soon as something goes wrong, you're riding, you know, you're trying to fix it, you're trying to keep it nice, you're mowing the lawn. Why? Because there's just a different mentality right here. And I remember he was challenging, and my wife and I, we were involved. We were at every service, but in our heart, we were kind of like renting. 
And in our heart, we were kind of like, well, I'm just here while I'm stationed here. I'm just here. And I remember my wife and I, we, we walked away from that service and we looked at each other and, and we just said to ourselves, you know what? We've kind of had that attitude. Like we're just kind of renting here. Like we're just kind of temporarily here. Like we didn't really invest ourselves here. And we decided from that moment that we were going to quit renting at fellowship and we were going to take part in the stake of that church. And you know what happened? We started getting people saved. We started bringing people to church. I started bringing people to church for my job. We ended up starting a Spanish ministry and saw many people saved. Many people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because an attitude changed. We decided, I'm not just a renter. I'm not just here temporarily. I'm not just here, you know, because there's nowhere else to go. And we decided, I'm going to invest in this thing. I'm going to go in this thing. And what to God, people in Sacramento, California, would look at Verity Baptist Church and they'd say, I'm not going to rent. I'm going to own. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to despise the right that God has given me. I'm going to jump into this vision of soul winning. I'm going to jump into this vision, vision of reaching uh, the lost of Sacramento. I'm going to jump into this vision of getting people saved and getting people discipled and getting people baptized. I'm going to get in that thing. Don't despise the birthright that God has given you. You know that our church, and I'm not saying this in a, in a, in a way to show off, I just don't, you may not be aware of this. You know that our church sees people saved literally every week? I mean, it's, there's very few weeks that go by at Verity Baptist Church that we don't have somebody saved. I mean, do the math. We've had, we've had over 70 people saved in the last five months <laughs> this year. I mean, we're getting people saved every week. And most churches in America don't get anybody saved in months. And, and you know, but here's the funny thing. You know that people in China that have to hide to go to church? I mean, there's people in China where they're not allowed to be in church that literally they have to plan eight hours in advance to go to church because they can't just come to a house because that'd be too obvious. So one person has to show up, and then an hour later, another person shows up. And then two hours later, another person shows up. And then four hours, and then by the time, you know, eight hours have gone by by the time, but you've got to do it that way so that people don't realize that you're having a church service. And then they get their songbooks together, and they get all around, and they sing songs quietly. And the pastor, you know, in America, the pastor won't scream and yell from the pulpit because he's a girl, because he's a liberal, because he doesn't have anything to yell about. But in China, you've got to be quiet or else the authorities will come and get you. And those people wish they could go out and knock on a door and get somebody saved. But in America, where people have died, like we're celebrating tomorrow, to give us that right, we despise it. And we say, it's not worth it. Uh, One of these days, I'll try that soul winning thing. What to God? You know how many people wish they could do that? Wish they could get some? You know how many people I've met and they said, Oh, I, I just wish, I just pray that in my lifetime I could maybe see one person saved. And at Verity Baptist Church, we see people saved every week. And it just becomes old hat. And we despise that birthright. It's a sad thing. No, we ought not despise the birthright that God has given us. But you know, more than that, think about this. Many do not appreciate their birthright as Americans. Many do not appreciate the birthright that God has given us. You know, tomorrow's Memorial Day, and I've been thinking about this a lot. And God has blessed us and given us and put us in a country where we're giving liberties and freedoms. And so often, we as Americans despise that birthright. You say, what's our birthright as an American? Well, let me read, let me read to you what our birthright as an American is. I'll read for you from a little... Uh, You might know this document. It's called the Declaration of Independence. It says, When in the course of human events, 
It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth and separate an equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them and dissent respect to the opinions of mankind required that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Here's what I love about the Declaration of Independence. It started as a declaration of independence. It started as a declaration to the King of England why we are, uh, you know, rejecting you as our king and we're becoming an independent country. But it turned into a declaration of independence for every single human being. Because here's the most famous verse of the uh, words of the Declaration of Independence. It says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know that you know that the Declaration of Independence just stated and the Bible agrees with it? That God has made every single one of us. The moment you were born, He gave you a birthright to the fact that you were born free and independent. He said we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. You know, not just Americans. All men. Not just, you know, people who live. All men are created equal. And they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. And God has given us that birthright. But so often we despise that birthright. Man. You say, how do we despise that birthright? I'm, I'm ashamed and appalled as to how quickly people are willing to give up their liberty. I mean, it's amazing to me. You say, give me some examples. I'll give you an example. Well, you know, there in the passage we saw, why did Esau give up his birthright? Here's why he did it. For a morsel of food. For food. For a physical appetite. You know, the Democrats in this country, they wish to take our liberties in in exchange to provide for us social welfare programs. Obama wants to give me health care, but he wants to take some of my liberty when he does it. Obama wants to give me food stamps, but he wants to take some of my liberties when he, when he does it. Obama, you know, and the Democrats, they want to give you all these social, you know, things to help you and give you. Just like Esau, he was willing to despise his birthright for a meal. And so many Americans are willing to just give up their birthright, give up their freedom, give up their liberties. Oh, uh, as long as the government takes care of my health care, you know what? Keep your health care and give me my liberty. You say, uh, that's kind of crazy. Well, let me, let me read for you a quote. Maybe this will help you understand where I got this mentality from. The democracy was, will cease to exist when you take away from those who are willing to work and give to those who would not. You know who said that? Thomas Jefferson. He said, the democracy will cease to exist when you take away from those who are willing to work and give to those who would not. Nothing makes me angrier than when the government chooses to take money from an individual who's working their fingers to the bone and gives it to someone who's not willing to work. It's ridiculous. You know, I often tell my, I get so angry about I tell my wife, you know, I, I work, sometimes I work so many hours, I mean, sometimes I go an entire day, an entire, like, 18-hour period from the morning I wake up to, to the moment I get home, and I don't even see my wife and kids. Because I'm just working. And not making that much money. And you know, I, I'm a private contractor, So guess what I get to do? I get my paycheck, and then at the end of the year, you know what I get to do? I get to write a check to the government to pay my taxes so I can help support somebody who's not willing to work. I mean, I get to work multiple hours a day. I get to not be with my family. I get Sometimes I skip meals just because I don't want to waste the money because we got a budget and we got a balance 
and we got to you know make the check, and, and I get to suffer to pay for somebody to sit at home and not work. And they want to take our liberties to give us some sort of social medium. You know, forget that. You say, oh, well, that's, you're against the Democrats. Well, look, in case you think, Republicans are no better. You know what the Republicans want? Do you know what they passed this week? The Patriot Act. And the Republicans, they want to take, you know what the Patriot Act is? There's nothing patriotic about the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act allows people to listen to your phone calls without a warrant. They allow them to read your emails without a warrant. They allow them to see what you checked out at the library. They allow them to see what you searched on the internet. They allow them to just know every... I mean, it's Big Brother on steroids. They call it the Patriot Act to make it, you know, uh, user-friendly. And the Republicans, they'll say... And this is what I've heard. I've literally heard people say... I've heard pastors say this. They'll say this. Well, I'm willing to give up a little bit of my liberties if it means that I'm going to get a little bit of protection. I've heard people say, I'm willing to go to the airport and have them completely, you know, just touch every part of my body and just watch me on some camera naked. And I'm willing to give this up. I'm willing to give up some of my freedoms just to be a little protected. You you say, Pastor Jimenez, what do you think about the Patriot Act? Well, let me read for you uh, a little quote here. It'll tell you what I think about the Patriot Act. They that can give up essential liberties to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety, Benjamin Franklin. Isn't that amazing? Did you catch that? This is what Benjamin Franklin said. One of our founding fathers, they that can give up essential liberties to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. You say, well, we we need to give up some liberty so we can have freedom. No, sir. You know, we're despising our birthright. There's value in liberty. There's value in freedom. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But you know what the sad thing is? Most of our nation is so ignorant to the fact that the things that are happening, so ignorant to the, the things that are happening in this world, they've got their heads so deep into a television, watching stupid uh, television shows that mean nothing, that matter nothing, that don't affect anything, and they don't even know that their liberties are slowly being taken away. Let me read for your quote. A nation of well-informed men who have been taught to know and prize the rights which God has given them cannot be enslaved. It is in the nation of in the region of ignorance that tyranny begins. Benjamin Franklin. You know, I do not want to give up my birthright as an American. I don't. I don't want to give up my birthright as a human being to give up my liberties for anything. I love this quote. Patrick Henry said this: "Is life so dear, or peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery?" I mean, listen to what he, he's saying. Is peace so sweet? Is your life so dear to you that you're willing to have peace even if it means you're a slave? He said, forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That's what Patrick Henry said. He said, give me liberty or give me death. But he said, if I have to have peace, if I have to have freedom, if I have to have, you know, if I have to have uh, uh, life and it means to be in bondage, he said, I'd rather just die. He had a different attitude than Esau. He said, he, see, Patrick Henry wasn't despising his birthright. And what to God, we as Christians would decide that we're not going to despise our birthright. We're going to fight for our liberties and we're going to honor those men, you know, tomorrow on Memorial Day. We'll honor those people who did fight, who went to the shores of different nations to fight this for this country and for this opportunity to be in church tonight. 
You know what, tomorrow I'll be able to open up my Bible and read it because men died to give me that liberty. You know what, tomorrow I'll be able to get on my knees and pray to God, Almighty God, because men died to give me that liberty. You know what, tomorrow I'll be able to knock on doors in this city and get people saved because men died to give me that liberty. And we're just so willing to just quickly, oh yes, give me health care, here's my liberty. No, there's value in it. Don't despise your birthright. Because Esau despised his birthright. You know what happened? God took the blessing that came with that birthright away. Because Esau despised his birthright, God took the blessing that came with that birthright away. Away. Go with me to uh, Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. Look at verse number 11. Romans chapter number 9. Romans 9.11. I want to show you a verse in regards to this kind of... A little bit of a controversial verse, and I'd like you to see it and explain to you. Romans chapter number 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 9, look at verse number 11. Romans chapter number 9, and look at verse number 11. The Bible says in Romans 9, 11, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now people will take this passage in Romans chapter number 9, and they'll try to push this agenda of Calvinism. You know, we were just talking in the car on the way, the kids were asking me about the the pastor who predicted the end of the world. And you know, Harold Camping's a Calvinist. And you say, well, what's a, what's a Calvinist? A Calvinist is someone who believes that God chooses who will be saved and who will be damned, and it doesn't. you get no choice. There's no, you can't make a choice. You can't choose to be saved. God decides who will be saved and who will be damned, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. And they'll often take this verse and this story about uh, Jacob and Esau, because it says there, you know, it, it says uh, in verse 11, it says, For the children be not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. It is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And they'll say, See, before Jacob and Esau were even born, God had already decided that the uh, elder was going to serve the younger. But see, that's not true. Because stay there in Romans 9 and go with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Look at Hebrews chapter number 12. Let me, we're kind of doing a little bit of a Bible study tonight. Let me show you these verses here. Hebrews chapter number 12. Look at verse number 16. Hebrews chapter number 12. Look at verse 16. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And look at verse 17. So he sold his birthright, like it says in Genesis 25. He says, For ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. You know, I don't have, we don't have time to read it right now. We'll get into it in the next few weeks. But if you might be familiar with the story that Jacob, the deceiver, comes along and he actually tricks his father Isaac and he, he, he makes Isaac believe that he's Esau and he steals from Esau the blessing that, be, that came to him. But the Bible tells us there in Hebrews 12 that Esau could have had that blessing. Verse 17 says, For ye know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing... Could Esau have inherited the blessing that Isaac was going to give him? Yes, he could have. 
But God took it away. The Bible says he was rejected, for he found no place of revenge. Why was he rejected? Because he despised his birthright. See, when he despised his birthright, God says you could have had the blessing that came with that birthright, but because you sold the birthright for food, he said, now I'm giving the birthright to your younger brother. You say, well, how does that work with Romans 9? Well, go back to Romans 9. The, you got to understand that God was able to, even before Jacob and Esau were born, He was able to say that the elder will serve the younger, and He was able to say that, that Jacob was going to be uh, the one with the blessing. Here's why. Look at Romans chapter number 8, look at verse number 29. Here's another favorite verse of the Calvinists that they like to uh, misuse. Romans 8.29. It says, For whom He did foreknow, make note of that word, foreknow, He also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of His Son. The Bible says that whom God foreknew, or whom He did foreknow. See, what you got, you got to understand, God knows everything. God knows the future. God knows what you're going to do before you do it. And the Bible says that because for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. There's an order there. The Bible says that because God knew... See, the Bible says that you were predestinated to be saved. But does that mean that God chose you to be saved? And then the people that go to hell, He chose for them to go to hell? No, that's not what that means. It means because God foreknew. Because God is God and He knew what you were going to do. Because He already knew who was going to be saved. Then He predestinated them to be saved. Because He already knew. But notice, I'm sorry, that was a wrong phrase to say. He did not predestinate them to be saved. Because notice what it says. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, look what it says, to be conformed to the image of His Son. So did He predestinate them to be saved? No, He did not. He predestinated them to be conformed to the image of His Son. But why did He predestinate them? Because He already knew they were going to get saved. You can't find in the Bible where God just chooses, you're going to be saved, you're going to go to hell. You're going to be saved, you're going to go to hell. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's not in the Bible. He already knows who's going to get saved. And because He knows you're going to get saved, then He predestinates you to be conformed to the image of His Son. You know what that's saying? He says, because I know you're going to get saved, I want to predestinate you to walk in newness of life. I want to predestinate you to be like My Son. I want to predestinate you to be holy. That's what He means. Look at verse 30. For moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. But the truth is that everybody has an opportunity. No one is predestinated for salvation. Including Esau. Anybody could be saved. Look at, look at uh, Romans 8.31. What shall we say then to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up. Look what it says. For us all. Did, did God deliver His Son for, for the entire world? That's what it says. It says for us all. How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? The Bible says that Jesus Christ died for all mankind. John 3.15 says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10.11 says, For the Scripture say, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 1 Timothy 4.10 says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all 
men, especially of those that believe. Second Peter 3.9 says, For the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us for it, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Does that sound like God wants everybody saved? He said, Whosoever. He said, I'm not willing that any should perish. He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means anybody. So when the Bible says that you are predestinated, you are predestinated because God's foreknowledge, because He's God, and He knows everybody's gonna get, who's going to get saved. So don't let people trick you and say, well, God from the womb knew that, you know, He chose Jacob and He rejected Esau. No, 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 no. Esau could have. We saw there in Hebrews, Esau could have inherited the blessing. But because He despised His birthright, God rejected him from the blessing. And God knew that that was going to happen. So before they were born, he, he said, the elder will serve the younger. And that's what that is all about there. But look at, uh, go back to Genesis 28. I want to show you something about Esau being rejected. We'll be done. I think this is, a, this is the last point. When Esau had his birthright, his blessing taken away, by Jacob. And like I said, we'll get into that story in the next couple weeks. When Jacob stole the birthright of Esau, when he tricked his father, I mean, he put on Esau's clothing. He, Esau was hairy and Jacob was smooth, so he put on, uh, the Bible tells us that he put uh, sheepskin on his arms so that he would feel hairy. And he, and he tricked his dad because his dad was blind and couldn't see. And when, he, when Jacob stole Esau's birthright, and God, God tricked of Esau's blessing. I'm sorry, not his birthright, but his blessing. He got angry. But not only did he get angry, he didn't deal with those emotions correctly. He was wronged. He had a right to be mad. Because he, he was wronged the way Jacob did it and tricked his dad. But look at Genesis 28. Look at verse number 5. Genesis 28, 5. After the whole deer went, by, went down... The Bible says, And Isaac sent away Jacob. And he went to Paranaram unto Laban, son of Bethel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. So Isaac sends Jacob to Rebekah, his mother's uncle. And look at verse number 6. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, and sent him away to Paranaram, to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother, and was gone to Paranaram. Look at verse 8. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, and then it tells us there that he continued and he went on and he married the daughters of Ishmael. You say, see, what you got to understand is, because... Esau got mad because he was wronged. He then got a hard heart. And he saw, my dad doesn't want Jacob to marry the daughters of Ishmael, so guess what? I'm going to go marry the daughters of Ishmael. And he had a bad heart about it. Go back to uh, Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Genesis 28, 29 said, Then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had. But look at the Hebrews chapter number 12, look at verse 6. Let me show you, give you more proof that his heart got hard. In Hebrews 12, 16, the Bible says this. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Look what it says, as Esau. Say, why does God say that a fornicator and a profane person is as Esau? Well, here, 
Because remember, Esau gave up his birthright wife to fulfill a physical need. He was hungry. That's what a fornicator is. A fornication is when you go into a uh, sexual relationship before marriage. And if you and God is against that. You know, I don't care if I'm the only pastor in America who believes that. God is against you going into a relationship before you're married. Period. God is against you living with someone before you're married to them. God is against you going to bed with someone before you're married to them. And, and you know, I, I feel like I'm the only pastor in America who preaches that nowadays. Because everybody says, well, my pastor said it's okay for me. My pastor said that I should move in with so-and-so and see if we're compatible. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And by the way, let me just say this while we're, while we're on the subject. I'm, I, I don't care if I'm the only pastor in America who's going to preach this. I will thunder it from the pulpit. I'm against divorced people getting married. I'm against divorced people uh, dating. Because the Bible says to date someone who's divorced is to commit adultery. And if I'm the only one who sounds that out, I will. I'll, I'll be more than happy to be the only pastor. And if you want to see Pastor Jimenez get mad, then come to our church and start dating somebody who's divorced. And I, I mean, nothing will get me madder than that. I mean, if you want to see me blow my top, do that. You want to see me blow my top? Let these kids come into this church and start fornicating. And you're going you're, to... I'll preach. I've told people I will preach against it every service till it stops or they leave. Because I'm against it. And it's about time someone stood up with some gut and a backbone and fought against sin. Say, why, why do you get mad about sin? Because like we preached this morning, we're trying to build a monument. We're trying to build a memorial so these kids could look back and say, look what God did. So the Bible says, as Esau, he, but lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. What does that word profane mean? Here's what it means. Characterized by irreverence or contempt for God or sacred principles or things. The Bible says that Esau was profane. Because you know what happened? When Esau got his blessing taken away, his heart started getting hard. He didn't deal with it the right way. And he started getting upset. He started getting mad. He started blaming God. He became a profane person. Someone who was characterized by irreverence or contempt for God. You know, it's like if you read about Pharaoh when Moses was uh, bringing the, 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 um, the plagues down there uh, to Egypt. You know, if, if you study that out, the Bible, when, whenever Moses brought a, a, a plague into Egypt, um, Pharaoh would say, okay, 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 I'll let the people go, just stop this plague. And then as soon as Moses stopped the plague, the Bible would say this at the beginning, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he hardened his heart, and he hardened his heart, and he hardened his heart. But you know, you keep reading that out, and eventually the Bible says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And the thing is that as you harden your heart, eventually as you get mad at God, and as you reject God, and reject God, and reject God, and reject God, eventually God is going to reject you. You say, God doesn't reject anybody. God loves everybody. Well, the Bible says, Jacob have I loved. Esau, have I hated? God hated Esau. You say, well, did he hate him from the womb? No, Esau always had a choice. He could have, he could have got saved. He could have had the blessing. But because he kept getting hard towards God, the Bible says eventually he was rejected. I mean, look down at verse, uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 16. Unless there be any fornicators or profane persons. As Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, look what it says, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with 
tears. I mean, he repented. He went to God. He said, I, he said, I, I want to get it right. I want to do it right. And God said, no, you are rejected. Jeremiah 6.30 says this, Reprobate silver shall men call it, because the Lord hath rejected them. And eventually people, if they get their hard heart towards God, and they keep it hard, and they keep it hard, and they get mad, and they become profane, and they get mad towards God, eventually God says, you know what, I'm tired of you rejecting me. I now reject you. And you can repent all you want, Esau, but you're never going to find it, because God rejected you. That's the truth. The Bible says, my spirit shall not always strive with man. You know, an example of this is, these, is, is uh, a child who gets molested. You know, a child who gets molested is a victim. They didn't do anything wrong. But so often, have you ever noticed this? You know, you read a newspaper and you hear about a man who molested children. And so often this is the case. They were rejected as a child. They were molested as a child. You say, what happened? Well, here's what happened. They were hurt. They were wrong. They were the victim. They didn't do anything wrong. But because they didn't deal with that the right way, because maybe their heart started getting hard towards God, maybe fighting against God because of what happened to them, eventually they crossed this line, just like Esau, where he was no longer the victim, but now he was the predator. You know, and, and I believe in our country, often we, we do that to young kids because, you know, um, a man will get, will molest a uh, person, and instead of just hanging them on Main Street like they should, instead of just taking, you know, the Bible says that you stone a person. You say, oh, should we stone people in America today? Well, uh, maybe we can do it a little different. Maybe we should take the stone and kind of just form it into a bullet and just drive it through their, through their head. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, you're saying, oh, I don't think you should do that. I am totally for the death penalty for a man or a woman who would take a child and molest them and perform a sexual act with a child. I mean, I'm totally for just hanging them on Main Street. Televise it. Put it on the internet. Praise the Lord. Because you know what that do for children? It would bring closure. It would bring justice. It would bring a sense of the, of the balances being, uh, be, being made right. But you know what happens? Here's what happens in America. A guy molests a child. They get put in prison for five years. They get out three years early for good behavior and the child feels like they were never served justice. And so often, if that child doesn't get them to a good Bible-believing Baptist church that's going to teach them that God loves you, and God has a purpose for you, and God wants to do something with you, and God can help you, and God can love you, and has children, and has people that come around them and help them spiritually, so often those kids eventually become so hardened that then they're the ones. That's the cycle. That's what happened to Esau. He was wronged. But instead of getting right, he got hard. And when he got hard, eventually he rejected God so many times, God said, I reject you. It's the truth. Look at Romans chapter number 9. Look at verse 11. We're done. Romans 9, 11. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Does God hate certain people? Yes, I believe He does. I mean, the Bible says it. God hated Esau. Why? Because his heart got hard. Because he became profane. Because he was a fornicator. Because he 
knew what was right and he did wrong anyway. Now look, if you're saved, you've got the eternal security of the believer, you will never be rejected, nothing can separate you from the love of God. I mean, if you're saved, if you're saved, nothing can take your salvation away from you. But I, I'm wary for these unsaved people running around here, rejecting God with evolution, rejecting God with humanism, rejecting God with all these different doctrines that we are God and we don't need God and, and, uh, and God doesn't care about us. And, and I'm wary for these unsaved people because if they don't get saved, they might get rejected of God themselves. Jeremiah 6.30 Reprobate silver shall men call them because the Lord hath rejected them. You say, Pastor Jimenez, why are you trying to knock on every door in Sacramento? Because I'm trying to get some of these Esau saved before they get rejected. I'm trying to get some of these young kids or some of these young adults who maybe they were hurt in church. Maybe they were hurt by the person who was supposed to protect them. Maybe they were hurt by 99% of the time, mom's living boyfriend. It's, that's the truth right there. Dad's living girlfriend. Usually it's not the mom or the dad molesting them. It's the guy they marry. That is not related to them. The divorced parent they marry, that is not related to the child. That's the person who molests them. And because they were hurt, they're hurting and they're in pain. And we ought to go and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ and get them saved before their heart gets hard like Pharaoh. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we love you so much. These sermons, they're not pleasant to preach. The subject of Esau and people like Esau, it's not a nice subject. But Lord, we've got to preach it. We've got to go out and reach the world before the devil gets to them. Lord, we love you.